0: And so this morning we continue our summer series, A Jesus-Centered Summer, and my topic this morning is going to be uh, Becoming Jesus-Centered Parents and Grandparents. You know, I've spoken on the subject of parenting often over the years, but I must admit, never without a bit of apprehension. Because, you see, I never really considered myself to have been a great parent. I wasn't where I should have been with the Lord at the time. I was average at best. Maybe I'd give myself a C plus. certainly no better. Now, you know that good preachers are supposed to use the Scriptures as foundational for their messages, giving application to their thoughts during the the, the, the sermon. But some years back, I... Um, I sensed a revelation from the Lord because I always was a bit uncomfortable speaking about parenting simply because of where I had been with our own children. But I sensed that the Lord gave me a revelation. This probably goes back um, 10 or 12 years. And it went something like this. No, Pete, you didn't consider yourself to have been a great parent. But you do view yourself as a pretty good grandparent. And here's where the revelation came. And then I sensed the Lord saying this. If you had been to your old children, which you are these days to your grandchildren, well, then you would have been a very good parent. So that's what you talk about. And right then, that incredible verse from Deuteronomy 4.9 popped in my mind. The verse that for at least 12, 13, 14 years... I've often referred to it as my marching orders for my senior years. My marching orders for my work as a grandfather. We now have 18 grandchildren, the youngest just a month ago, the oldest soon to be 17. And I'm intent about being the grandfather that the Lord would have me be. And so we begin with Moses, now 120 years old standing out on the plains of Moab, and knowing that he's shortly to die. And God moves Moses to preach what is clearly the longest sermon in all the Bible. The 40 years of desert wandering are at a close. And Moses wants to make sure that the lessons learned are never forgotten. And so the sermon reads like a summary of reflections, instructions, admonitions, and the like. And then... In the fourth chapter, the ninth verse, we find this critical instruction. Listen. Just make sure you stay alert. Keep close watch over yourselves. Don't forget anything of what you've seen. Don't let your hearts wander off. Stay vigilant as long as you live. And then the critical words teach what you've seen and heard to your children and grandchildren. Teach what you've seen and heard to your children and grandchildren. I was with Zane. We were in Sparta on Monday of this week. And I asked him, Zane, when we talk about what we've seen and heard, what does that encompass? What, what, what isn't there? You were stumped, weren't you, Zane? Yeah, you see, it encompasses everything. Anyways, Moses says to parents, grandparents, teach what you've heard and seen to your children and grandchildren. Interesting to me, he makes no distinction. What he says we ought to do as parents, we similarly ought to do as grandparents, and vice versa. And so what I want to do this morning is to speak on that subject of becoming Jesus centered parents and grandparents. So let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful this morning that we have your word to guide us in this incredibly difficult task of being parents and grandparents. We don't have to uh, seek out the advice of secular teachers but rather, Lord, through your word you speak so precisely and so often about all that is required. And so, Lord, as we visit this subject this morning, I pray that our hearts be opened, that you plant your words deep within, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Actually, I think I'd like to give you what would even be a better title for this message this morning, and that would be the process of becoming Jesus-centered parents and grandparents. The process of becoming Jesus-centered parents and grandparents. For you see, for anything of significance that we would try to do in our lives, there is a process involved, some series of steps that we've got to go through before we might accomplish the end for which we seek. Graduating high school in 1960, that seems forever ago. I knew in advance that I wanted to get into business. My dad had been in business, and I guess as I grew up, I wanted to somewhat follow his steps. And studies in accounting were seen as really the best route to move into the business world. And so in early September of 1960, I left home. I headed off for college. It was a long four years. Uh, But but I was beginning my process of wanting to get into the business world. And I want to tell you a little bit about that process this morning and see if it might have application also for our subject. Now, my process involved three steps. First of all, I had to build a foundation develop some level of expertise, if you will, to acquire a bank of knowledge. And for that, I majored in business, studying accounting. But you see, that was just the basics, without which no one would have hired me. I mean, there was no way to move through the process without first building that foundation. And I say similarly this morning, parenting and grandparenting, There is a foundation to be built without which no person can hope to be a good parent or grandparent. So the foundation was the start, and then secondly, there was a test. Now, the test wasn't required simply to get into the business world. My degree was enough for that. But we're not speaking this morning of just getting there of just uh, becoming a parent or grandparent. Oh, no, there is a world of difference between just being a parent or grandparent and being a Jesus-centered parent or grandparent. You see, I didn't just want to get into business. I wanted to get into something where I could be very good at it. And in those days, the number one route for business was becoming a certified public accountant, uh, taking a test, to have that certificate, and that I did in October of 1964 out in Colorado. So I had achieved that second step. The foundation, uh, what was solidified, I passed the test, and only now was I ready to really do the actual work that I'd been seeking. You see, the process is critical. We've got to go step by step. We can't shortcut that process, or we'll simply not achieve the end that we seek. So for me, I had passed those critical preparatory stages, the foundation built, the test passed, and only now was I ready to actually engage in the various skills and so forth of the trade. And I want to suggest this morning that there's a similar preparatory process if your goal is to be a Jesus-centered parent or grandparent. Now, I know not all of you here are parents or grandparents. Some of you are in process. Uh, Some will never be, but more than 90% of all people ever born will fit that role one day. And so why is that? I like to think that God, with his infinite wisdom, simply determined that that was the way the majority would come to know him, come to seek him, and one day spend eternity with him. So, with with those initial thoughts in mind, what I'd like to do is talk further about the preparatory stage, the foundation, the test, and then the work of being a Jesus-centered parent or grandparent. And for that, we've got to once again join Moses on the plains of Moab, speaking to the whole Israelite community. And in chapters 5 through 12, Moses in Deuteronomy summarizes all that God expects of his people, specifically focusing on the Ten Commandments and their duty to serve the one true God. And then in the sixth chapter, the fourth and fifth verses, Moses speaks what is by far the most significant and important verses in the long history of Judaism, not not just back then, but yet today. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, listen. Hear, O God, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I want to help you to understand how important that section of verses was to the Jews. You see, serious-minded Jewish people would actually prepare two small scrolls and they put those verses thereon, and then they take the small scrolls, put them in small boxes called phylacteries, and they literally tie them around their forehead. When they went off to prayer, when they went out to services just uh, indicating how important those verses were to them. And then they would also mount a similar box on the doorpost of their house, visible reminders both to them and any that would enter as to what they considered most sacred in life. You see, they recognized that no half-hearted sentiment would ever be good enough. To them, nothing could be more emphatic than that second verse with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To the early Jewish believers, that meant two specific things. First of all, that their love for God would be exclusive. And secondly, and what's so often forgotten today, that it must be constant, continuing, and never falter. And my point is simply this without the foundation being built and maintained, there's simply nothing of value that you'll accomplish as parents and grandparents. It doesn't make any difference. If it's what we're speaking about this morning, the same holds true of your job, your marriage, whatever endeavor you might be involved with. So, parents, grandparents, let me ask you this. What place does God have in your life today? Pastor Mitch, you stole my sunder. you said, we ought to think of who the Lord is, to each one of us this morning. And that's the question I ask you right now, congregation. Is your belief in God a casual belief? Is your belief mainly a Sunday-only belief? Is your belief a when-I'm-in-trouble belief? Is your belief a something-else-to-do belief? And maybe even, is your belief a I like the fellowship with the others at church? Or, is yours a belief that is with all your heart? and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew chapter 7. And he said that the house of your life would falter if it was not built on the foundation. And then Jesus spoke this, of that foundation. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the foundation. Now, as to how we're to make the belief we hold a constant, something that is consistent, I mean, that's something far beyond the scope of my message this morning, but it certainly includes things like developing a prayer life, reading and studying the scriptures, becoming filled with the Spirit, becoming adept at hearing from God, and other such important practices of the faith. And for that, well, we watch other parents and grandparents that we respect. We read the scriptures ourselves and allow God to speak with us. We involve ourselves in all the activities of the church. We develop the habit of getting off with God on retreat on an annual basis. And there are any number of seminars and books and conferences Uh, That we can take part in. So, the first step in our process of becoming Jesus centered parents and grandparents is we've got to secure the foundation. But let's go on. Back in 1964, once my foundation was secure, That'd be my college studies. I had to pass that test, and Doris remembers we just got married, and for four months, every night I studied, all day Sundays after services, just to be in position to pass that test. I couldn't engage really fully in the work I had chosen until I passed the test. Now, we all know that knowledge alone never prepares us for the actual work. Rather, it's the application of that knowledge that propels us forward. Now, many professions refer to that as an apprenticeship program. In other words, kind of an on-the-job training, usually a period of time, often years, uh, spent under the guidance of others before we are released, if you will, to do the job ourselves. And not surprisingly, that's also the case with parenting and grandparenting although many are not aware of it. Many simply assume erroneously that they can parent a grandparent simply because their first child or grandchild shows up. I was like that in 1965 when son John made the scene and what a rude awakening that was. You see, God also has an apprenticeship program for us. Something that you got to get through and continually maintain if you want to become Jesus-centered parents or grandparents. It's as simple as this. Between the foundation and the work of parenting and grandparenting, there's a critical middle ground test that we must enter, master, and maintain. It's called marriage. For years, I've said it this way. I say marriage is God's on-the-job training for the kingdom of heaven. Marriage is God's on-the-job training for the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's the ultimate application of what I'm referring to this morning as the foundation. The great majority, as I said earlier, are people more than 90%. I mean, they get married simply because God determined that would be the best state for the majority to come to know him. And the tie-in between marriage and the relationship that God one day wants with each one of us is all through the Bible. We constantly see the love that ought to exist between a husband and wife being compared to the love that God so seeks with each one of us. To me, it's clear If you want to somehow on this earth approach the intimacy that we'll have one day with God in heaven, well, then we must be determined to have a godly marriage. The problem today, though, is for many, the ultimate in the marriages occurs. Sometimes the wedding day, certainly in those early years. But you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's simply supposed to be the start. God intended that marriages, over time, become godly. I want you to listen to some verses out of Scripture, some directed towards husbands and some directed toward wives. And I think these um, these Scriptures give impact to the importance that God holds for marriage. Listen, toward the husbands first. Colossians 3.19. I love this one. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives you see, that's not just the first year. That's not just wedding day. You know, that's five years, ten years, twenty years, forty years, fifty years. Forever. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. And then Proverbs 5:18 and 19. I love all of these. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel. Beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take love for granted. I mean, the scripture reminds us that as we age in our marriages, that we ought yet be what we were when we were young. And then Ecclesiastes 9.9, relish your life with your spouse each and every day. And finally, Song of Songs 7.3-7, the husband says this, You know, men, this is the kind of thing we're supposed to say to our wives. The husband says this, you're altogether feminine. I'm spoiled for everyone else. Your beauty within and without is absolute. (laughs) I tell you, those of you, you know me. That's exactly the way I feel about Doris. And we're um, two weeks away from our 50th anniversary. was in uh, Sparta last week um, with Zane. Um, Somehow it came up that Doris and I were in our 50th year and one of the fellas, one of the pastors who were with, he says, you know, that is really unusual. And I said, said, well, let me tell you what's even more unusual. I'm nuts about her after all these years. (laughs) Let me... um, Let me give you some other uh, verses. These verses come from the wives. Ecclesiastes 7.9, the wife says, I'm all he wants, I'm all the world to him. How about it, man? Isn't that something we want to hear? I'm all he wants, I'm all the world to him. And then Song of Songs, 2.4, He took me home for a festive meal, but his eyes feasted on me. How about that? What what man doesn't want to hear that from his wife? You see, I want you to listen closely here. I want to give emphasis to this whole point of marriage being the test. You see, when your marriages are not godly, two things occur regularly that rob you of your ability to become Jesus-centered parents or grandparents. Listen, number one, your energy is greatly depleted by the arguments and stresses and emotional turmoil that always encompasses marriages that are astray. And secondly, marriage is supposed to invigorate us, provide uh, uh, new and renewed strength, give people the mental and emotional help that they need simply to complete the process of parenting and grandparenting. You see, if your marriage is not right, you lose out on all of that. And two final points on marriage. Ironically, you can't master this block in the process without first being successful in building the foundation. Two years ago, I was in Florida. We were maybe a month from coming back to Wisconsin. And a man called me, and he was in desperate straits. He had been involved in an affair. It had come to life, uh, to light, and um, his marriage was at risk. And he said, Pastor, I just need to get together with you. I know you've had a long term marriage, and uh, would you counsel me this summer? And I said, Sure, and made an appointment, and, and, and all this and that. Doris and I got back into town. And I remember we met him, or I met him, and um, I had brought a, a couple of my favorite books on marriages and things like that along. And so we sat down, and I. You know, he says, says, you know, I'm not here for you to counsel me on my marriage. I've got a marriage culture I'm working with. What I'm here for is, Pastor, can you teach me how to be a Christian? Can you teach me how to be a Christian? You see, that man understood that there was a foundational uh, matter that was far more important than simply the X's and O's of how to make marriage work. So the foundation is critical if we're going to be able to have a godly marriage. And then secondly, in my experience, and Doris and I have taught on marriage for many, many years, the key missing ingredient in marriage is this, passion. And I don't mean passion between the husband and wife. What I mean is passion for the marriage, passion simply for the fact of marriage. Where a husband and wife will go all out to try to make that marriage everything God intended it to be. Where the husband will study and be intent and talk to others and um, humble himself often, ask forgiveness often, and be determined to be all God intended him to be as a husband and then the wife also. You see, you've got to believe that marriage, in fact, can be all that God intended it to be. You've got to be convinced then that building the foundation is indispensable. You know, if you think you're going to um, reach whatever that uh, goal is in your marriage and yet not be simultaneously working that God will be all in all to you, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Or you may have uh, uh, what the world views as a good marriage. But I want to tell you this morning that God has much more for you. Many, many couples have no idea how great marriage actually can be. Because, you see, it's never been revealed to them and isn't revealed until they step into the process. I just say it this way, the inventor's invention never begins to show itself fully unless and until the user begins to operate it according to the inventor's specific instructions. Let me say that again. I mean, we know that uh, marriage is of God's doing. It's not a human institution. There was an inventor, there was a plan, a blueprint, if you will, And the inventor's invention never begins to show itself fully until and unless the user begins to operate it according to the inventor's specific instructions. So where are we now? Just here. You want to be a Jesus-centered parent or grandparent? Well, God's laid out the process from the beginning. First, there's a foundation that must be secured and maintained. We've got to be willing to make God our all. And secondly, a test has got to be passed and then maintained. Are we willing to do all that it takes to make our marriages godly? If you can get by these two building blocks, well, then you're ready for the serious work of parenting and and grandparenting. And for that, once more, we go back to the plains of Moab. You know, I spoke a year ago on fathering, and I used these same scriptures, and some of you might remember that. And as I began to prepare this message, I simply couldn't find scriptures that were any better. And that's why we visit Moses once again. You know, Billy Graham preached for 46 years, never preached once without intoning John chapter 3, that you got to be born again. And I remember reading about um, one of the lady circuit riders in the 1880s, a congregational preacher, and she said that the first sermon I ever preached was on John 3.16, God so loved the world. And she said, once I preached on that, there was nothing more to say. And all through her ministry, every single time she preached, he preached on John 3.16. So I trust that a second dose of Moses uh, will not be too much for all of you. Back to Moses. On the plains of Moab, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, Moses says this. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you And get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are. Sitting at home, walking in the streets. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. That's a formula for God being our all in all. First, Moses said we've got to get it inside ourselves. That's all about the foundation and the application of the foundation, that being marriage. And then, he says, then, get it inside your children. There's a progression here. We can't expect to get it inside our children, our grandchildren, if we're not willing to first get it inside ourselves. And obviously, Moses was not talking about helping our children to be proficient at Soccer and basketball and gymnastics or involving them in other pursuits such as proper manners and homework and developing responsibilities. These things are all important. They're part of the process of parenting. But Moses makes it abundantly clear that there's a higher level of responsibility for parents and grandparents. And now, I can share a few thoughts on the work of parenting or grandparenting. Isn't that interesting? It takes two-thirds of the message just to get to the point where we can talk about some of the techniques, some of the things we might do. You see? The foundation, the tests are just critical. Most, and I don't think I'm exaggerating this, I was this way 49 years ago. Most move into parenting or grandparenting simply assuming that they can skip those first two steps. That's the world in which we live. I want to share some specific suggestions, uh, things that I do today with my own grandchildren, things I wished I had done when our children were younger. Number one, Bible studies. When my grandchildren get to be four or five, we start with Bible studies. <clears throat> I simply get together with them <clears throat> one-on-one, and sometimes I take two or three at a time. We've got so many. And we just, we just take a, a section out of the scriptures, and we talk. I'll ask questions. They'll ask questions. And what the Lord has kind of shown me is, um, regardless of the text, that I'm the goal where the child wants to go. Lucy Lucy out? Yeah. I had a little Lucy. She's uh, seven. Oh, I think it was about a month ago. And um, I think we were um, using the story of the Good Samaritan. And just about halfway through reading, Lucy says, Papa, how come people die? Well, then I went there. The Good Samaritan was all done, you see. Because the Holy Spirit knows The Holy Spirit knows what our children need at specific points in time. So we will take the time, if we will be involved in um, uh, helping them uh, to learn the Word of God, we can be sure the Spirit will take us wherever He would. I mean, I just think it's basic, and it's something that any parent can do. Tougher for grandparents sometimes if they're um, uh, distances. But you know, where there's a will, there can be a way. But helping our children at a young age to become familiar with the Scriptures and understand what the power is there in the Scriptures. So Bible studies, I think, is basic. The second thing, and we see so little of it today. It wasn't that way when I was young, and that's the whole matter of having our children attend Christian schools. I'm a big proponent of Christian schools. I had a parent, oh, in the last six months, they were talking about the possibility of sending their child to a public high school or a Christian high school, and they asked me my opinion. And I said, well, your child is strong in the things of God, but do you want them to have to put up with what they would have to put up with in the public high school? You know, any public high school, what is going to happen every day Bad language, dirty stories, sexual innuendo all through the day. You see, because the public school system doesn't allow them to discipline against that. I tell my children, I tell all of you, that when you think about educating your children, particularly in the elementary and high school years, what's critical? Moral development, disciplinary development, and spiritual development you notice I've not included academic. Academic simply comes. You can get that out of a book. But you can't develop character in a child out of a book. You see, it's mimicked. It's seen. It's grasped. Up in Oostburg, Wisconsin, just four miles from where Doris and I live. They have 1,900 people up there. They've got a Christian school with 200 students. A few of our kids went when they were younger. Well, how do they do it? Well, I'll tell you exactly how they do it. They have, I have a culture of Christian schooling that they simply held on to. People sell their car and buy a jalopy. They move out of a house and get a lesser house. They give up vacations for a period of time, you see, Now, I know there's some cases where it's not possible. But I want to tell you there's many, many, many more cases where it is possible because the lacking often is not a lack of funds. The lacking often is a lack of sacrifice. I really mean it. You know, churches, the assembly of God, all the denominational churches, we are losing our youth. And some of the reason is we are simply not as intent on the pop, proper kind of Christian schooling that we ought to be intent on. Next, two key scriptures. Parents, grandparents, that ought to be on the tip of your tongue and on the tip of your children's tongue. They need to know it. John chapter 3. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And he tells them that you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. With my grandchildren, every season that we go into Bible studies again, we begin with John chapter 3. You must be born again. And the second one is this. This one will surprise you. John chapter 11. Lazarus being raised from the dead. And that incredible scripture that says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You see, youngsters don't have to be very old until they get to the point that they recognize that there is such a thing as death. And that it's the most mysterious and fearful thing. It's, and, and nobody gives them a good explanation. So when I take that story of Lazarus and we get to that point and we talk about the fact that whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. You think that doesn't grasp these little ones? I tell you, all of ours, they know that one well. Those two scriptures, you've got the key on that with your children and grandchildren. Physical evidences. You know, God is at work powerfully in our midst today. The miracles, the great happenings of God are not simply times past. As Pastor Martin spoke two weeks ago, we simply look at the things of energy and the things in this world and we recognize that God is alive and well and working miracles day by day. We take our children often up the holy hill. I love to get up there mainly because I want to walk them by that wall, that barred wall that has all the crutches and the wheelchairs. And the things that fully prove that, in fact, miracles take place today. You guys love Holy Hill, don't you? Yeah, they do. Every couple years, we try to get them up there. When Doris and I were younger and our children were growing up, um, for many, many years, our after-dinner reading material was Catherine Kuhlman's book, I Believe in Miracles. It's probably a book that's 40 or 50 years old now, maybe 60 or 70. It doesn't make any difference she recounts the incredible moves of God in the 20th and 21st century. I believe in miracles. Uh, We've not yet gotten to the Creation Museum outside of Cincinnati. I don't believe the replica of Noah's Ark is yet completed, but that's one of our intents. You see, uh, demonstrating, showing the physical side, means so much to children and grandchildren. We often tell the story about Mark, five years old, four years old, I don't remember, but he fell down the stairway. We were living in Sherwood at the time, broke his collarbone. We took him to the hospital. He got this brace on his collarbone, and we gathered around with people in our house and others, and we just prayed, God, would you just take the pain? And I don't even know if we had the faith to say remove the thing. The next morning, Mark doesn't have the brace on. And he's hopping and jumping and running and playing just like any four- or five-year-old boy. We came to find that miraculously that shoulder was healed. He was back in school right away. You see, the, the, the great happenings of God, they're there today. And we need to show and demonstrate those to our children. Retreating getting off for a couple days every year just to be alone with the Lord, forgetting the cell phone, forgetting um, uh, the television, getting in a different uh, atmosphere, uh, simply that you might hear from God. And then finally, this may be the most important, and Moses He said it very specifically. Talk about them wherever you are. Sitting at home, walking in the streets, talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you're in bed at night. What do we talk about, Hannah? We talk about Jesus. How about you, Samuel? What do we talk about? Yeah, you bet. Tabitha, what do we talk about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, our whole lives constantly are providing opportunity to speak to our children and grandchildren about the things of God. And we pass them by. A big reason we pass them by, once again Moses said it, it's got to get in us before we can get it in them. We have to have this determination that wherever we are with God, we've got to move up. You see, and then you don't need a message like this. If that foundation is secure, you'll begin to do the kinds of things you need to do be, to be a Jesus centered parent, a grandparent. Not, you know, I, I think it was maybe, um, maybe 10 years after we were married that Doris and I just um, began to get a sense and. And I knelt in front of my television for a Billy Graham conference and, and, and all this and that. And and then we came into this great church. I'll never forget it, 1988. Uh, the first time I walked in, Pastor Hansen preached the message on going hard after God. Going hard after God. And I sat right about in the middle where you are there, Jan. And I'm sure that during that message, I just... As he preached, I was lower and lower and lower. The conviction of the Holy Spirit was so upon me. I mean, I was very, very uncomfortable. And I left this church just um, being upset. But as that week went by, day after day after day, let me tell you what happened. I liked what was happening. I liked what was happening. because I began to realize that I could get better. That I could get better. And there is no addiction stronger than the addiction of having the sense within that you can get better. When I came to this church in 1988, what I speak about this this morning with regard to children and grandchildren, I couldn't even begin to think that because my foundation was weak. But involving myself in the things of this church, eventually studying for the ministry, God built the foundation. I began to get more of it in me. And that's the only reason I'm able to give it to these. So, brothers and sisters, parents, grandparents, children, all of you alike, there is a process a God-ordained process to be godly parents, to be godly grandparents. You don't have to look for it in talk shows. You don't have to buy a book. Well, you got to have a book, but you probably already have that book. You take those specifics and you start by building that foundation. I challenged you earlier to look inside. Mitch challenged you similarly To say, where am I with God? That's where it begins. You can't shortcut this process. You can't jump to say, well, I'm going to have a great marriage without God. Or I'm going to be a great parent or grandparent, but I don't have to go through these steps. It won't work. It won't work. So you begin with that foundation. I'll pray with you just in a minute. But you cry out to God. And you do the kinds of things that the Scripture tells us to simply reinforce such that at some point in time, it will be with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We'll never get there completely. But we can be so much better than we are today. And when that's there, then we got a chance to pass the test of marriage. I've told people for years and years and years, I don't think there's a tougher job on the face of the earth than making marriage work. It's no surprise to me. Really, it's no surprise to me that 50% of marriages fail because there's nothing more difficult to attempt to make a marriage work without a God-centered self. I don't know how it happens. But with that foundation, by passing that test in your marriages, then these other things I've shared with you They'll be natural. You see? Nobody had to say to me, Pastor Pete, look, as you begin to get grandchildren, begin to do Bible studies and do these things, get them in a Christian school, help, you know, this, this, and this. No. It just came natural. Because I wanted them to come to know the same God that I served, the same God that I loved. And as the foundation was strengthened inside me, I just knew what to do. I just knew what to do. Why don't you stand, please, and let me pray with you. Lord, we're so thankful this morning that um, we are so unlike the great majority in this world that don't have a precise blueprint laid out for parenting and grandparenting. We acknowledge you for that, Lord. We thank you for it. My prayer this morning, Lord, for all these parents and grandparents, one day parents and grandparents yet to be, Lord, these things that I've shared of your scriptures, these incredible words of Moses, Lord, you'll sink deep roots in every one of us Lord, that we will have a burning desire, yes, even a passion, to be all that you intend us to be in this life. God, that by your grace, we will go after it with fervor. We will be determined, God, day after day, to get it in us. And then by and by, God, as you would give us children and grandchildren, that by your Spirit, we would be attentive to all the ways that you would move through us. God, that they also might come to know you, be saved, come to follow you, and one day, dear Lord, spend eternity with you forever. God, I pray your blessings this morning on every parent and grandparent. I pray, dear Lord, that you visit them in a powerful way. As they leave here today in these next few days, Lord, that they will examine themselves. They will see where they are in the faith in this regard. And God, by and by, that you will build in them a determination to be better. God, that they will recognize that it is in you and you alone that all the skills, all the guidelines, all that they will need to be Jesus-centered parents and grandparents are right at their fingertips. So, Holy Spirit of God, I pray you spread your blanket of grace all over this congregation, those that not even here from our body, those absent today, or that we might veritably just build a just um, a horde of parents and grandparents that want only what you want of them. And how you would use them for their children and grandchildren. Lord, we thank you. That you put us down in this wonderful church. This church that cares for nothing but you, Jesus. This church, dear Lord, that is determined. That we never be satisfied. But that we constantly grow to be all you intend us to be. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on this church, on Pastor Mark and Suzanne as they continue their sabbatical. Or just bring to bear all your graces on this body and all the ministries included herewith. Help every one of us, dear Lord, to make you our all in all. And we'll expect, God, as time comes that we, in fact, will be kind of parents and grandparents that you've desired and you've graced us to be and that's our prayer this morning in Jesus name